Welcome to the Reset Podcast. I'm Liz Tran, an executive coach to founders and CEOs of fast-growing tech companies. And I attribute my success to my spiritual practices, which are rooted in mindfulness and Zen Buddhism. In this podcast, I combine business advice with spiritual lessons to help you lead a courageous, authentic, and fulfilled life. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. The date is January 11th, 2022. So the date is 1-1-1-2-2. And dates like that always feel a little bit special to me. So I thought this feels as good a day as any to record the podcast and do something really fun. So we will actually be answering listener questions today. Over the break, I got some great listener questions. And these three in particular just create such a nice range. One question is about love. One question is about loss. And the other question is about spirituality. I first wanted to recommend a couple of amazing books that I read over the holiday. And I don't normally recommend books outside of the context of a specific topic, but I haven't been able to stop thinking about both of them. The first one is called The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And I've actually read this one before, maybe two or three years ago. And recently I was on a panel with this amazing woman named Evelyn Escobar. She's the founder of Hike Club. And we were all asked what our favorite podcast or books, whatever resources And she mentioned this book, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Afterwards, I said to her, you know, I love that book too. And it's so weird because it's such a bizarre little book that I bought at a library book sale because it's not really prominently featured in regular bookstores because it came out so long ago. She said, yeah, I bought mine from a library book sale too. What I love about this book is I was reading it during the change in the year a time when we're all thinking about how we want to live our lives differently, the New Year's resolutions that we want to set for ourselves. And this book outlines the spiritual laws of success, not the capitalistic, go, 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 ambitious, you know, typical laws for success that we think are like, you know, work hard, network, be ambitious. And this is more of an internal perspective. It's about how to harness the existing energies of the universe to work for you. So it's really not about working hard. It's more about being intentional and being clear about what you want and being tapped into your inner sources of energy and potential. It's about silence and peace and calm and rest, as opposed to getting right back on the hamster wheel, which I personally believe is the right energy of a new year for me. The second book is a memoir. It's a slightly different recommendation than what I normally do here. It's called Crying in H Mart. It's by Michelle Zahner. I think a lot of you guys probably have seen it or read it. It's a memoir by the woman who is also known as Japanese Breakfast, the indie music group. She lost her mom at age 26 which is so young and so hard. And the result is this memoir about her mother's cancer treatments, her relationship with her mother, about being the daughter of an immigrant, half Asian, half white. And the author is so articulate 
and so emotionally in tune for someone of her age and really any age that I couldn't put the book down. I read it all in one sitting on the plane and I cried for about an hour straight because whether or not you've lost a parent or understand that, there is this thread that ties us to our parents, regardless of how good or bad the relationship is with them. Really beautiful book. I highly recommend checking it out. It's also kind of a breezy read. You can get through it in just a few hours. We'll move on to listener questions. And the first one is from Britt, who is 30 years old. My question is about balancing rest, relaxation, and loneliness. I'm turning 30 this year. Hello, Saturn return. And I've returned to a post-COVID-ish life in New York City, where many more of my friends are coupled up or facing their own quarter-life career and personal crises. I am so proud of my personal growth over the past few years, but making more space to relax and not subscribe to the culture of constantly doing multitasking, parentheses, I was addicted before, has left me with a lot of time. I enjoy being with myself, but this is a reminder of the void that I love to fill with a loving relationship, partnership. I believe that what's right will come to me at the right time, but I hate that I find myself Googling hobbies and resenting the number of hours in the day instead of being energized by them. I'm proud that I'm not filling the time with work or too much TV, but it definitely feels lonely. Any advice? XOXO Brit. This is such a beautiful question. And the first thing I will say, Brit, is a huge congratulations to you for being so intentional with where your attention is going reducing the amount of television that you're watching and funneling these hours that you have into really nourishing and productive activities instead of just working, working, working as a default. Being at this place in your life where you're able to put work into its appropriate perspective and spend a lot of time on rest and relaxation, especially during a pandemic and especially during your Saturn return is so, so commendable. Uh, moving on to your topic of balancing that time for rest and relaxation with also a feeling of loneliness that has been creeping in. First thing I want to say is let's acknowledge that you are in your Saturn return. And let's talk a little bit about that. Because for those of you listeners who are somewhere between 27 and 30 years old, this is a topic that will be relevant for you. Every 30-ish years, Saturn, this very slow-moving planet on our astrological chart, will return to the exact place where it was when you were born. And Saturn is what's called the planet of discipline. It has this real mature authoritarian energy. It's like the strict teacher that is reminding you to do your homework, and it's the strict authoritarian parent that's reminding you to do your chores. And the point of the Saturn return is to put you under so much pressure that the things that are not in alignment with your life have to fall out. And then the things that actually are in alignment with where you want to go become more prominent. So it's almost like this strict disciplinarian that's putting you at a crossroads and making you choose. And oftentimes these lessons, you know, come to us in a way that feels harsh in a way that feels unasked for, because that is the energy of Saturn. Saturn is cold, Saturn is strict, 
Saturn is demanding. And also Saturn is about hard work. This is not to freak you out. I actually really thrived during my Saturn return. But I think a big piece of using the Saturn energy to your advantage is doing the hard work of it. It's rolling up your sleeves and saying, I'm not afraid to take on more responsibility for my own life right now. Saturn is asking you to step in to these bigger shoes of accountability and agency and proactiveness over your own life. So I share that context with you because it'll inform the advice that I'm giving you specifically about finding love. My advice to you is define what it is that you want. Take a good, long, hard look about what has worked for you in partners or people that you've been attracted to in the past. And think about what hasn't worked, where you've gone wrong. Think about where it is that you are now going in your life the person that you are mature into after the Saturn return has passed. And with this new model of personhood in mind, now shape your dream partner. Brit, you will emerge from the Saturn return as a completely different person. And that completely different person needs someone really specific. People who have may have seemed really fun and attractive before may not be mature enough for you. Similarly, you may be craving people who are more serious, serious about you and serious about their lives in general. And that's great because remember that throughout this process of the Saturn return, you are maturing, you are leveling up, and you are becoming your own teacher. A book that I highly recommend for doing this work is a book called Calling in the One. And it's a workbook that's very similar to The Artist's Way. And it asks you to define and articulate who it is that you're looking for so that you can manifest them into your life. I did Calling in the One right before I met my husband. And I was pretty specific about what I was looking for. I had dated uh, a few white people as my most recent partners. I think my three most recent partners. And because I was doing a lot of work around my own identity and what I wanted. I specifically called in someone who was not white. I wanted to be with someone who wasn't white. And this is no offense to any white people who are listening, but that was just what I wanted. And there were a few other attributes that were really specific to my needs. They may not have made this person the best partner generically for any person, but they were what would have made this person the best partner for me. And I wound up meeting my husband very shortly after this, probably two or three months. And in that window, there were a few people who came into my life who were like 80% there, but missing a really, really important component. And in the act of saying, no, I'm not settling for this type of person any longer, it opened the door for deaf to come along. So this book, Calling in the One, taught me all of that. I think it's really important because your Saturn return will be so much about you asking the cosmic waitress for what you want, whether it's in relationships or in work or in your personal life with friends. You are at a juncture in your life when you need to define exactly what it is that you need in your life. They always say that Saturn gives a gift at the end of any difficult transit. Saturn return is exactly like that. And you can expect 
a big gift or gifts to come your way, but they can only come to you if you're asking for them. And I have heard of this process as being called communing with your cosmic waitress. And I'll describe it here. So imagine that the universe is a series of energies and forces that are shaping your life and your destiny. And you can actually co-create with the universe. It's the same thing as going into a restaurant and you ask for exactly what you want. The key here is notice that when you go to a restaurant, you don't say vaguely what you don't want. You know, you don't walk in and you're like, I don't really know what I want, but I know I don't want broccoli. I know I don't want pie. I know I don't want steak. Your waitress is going to look at you, or rather your server is going to look at you, be totally blank and say, I have no idea what to give you. You have to ask specifically. So in this case, Britt, define what it is that you're looking for in this person, what kind of person you want them to be, how you want them to treat you, how you want them to show up in relationship to you, any little details. Maybe you want them to live in your neighborhood. Write them all down because the more specific you are in placing an order at the cosmic restaurant or in your life, the more perfect your order is going to come out. The second piece of this is notice when you're going to a restaurant, you don't think about whether or not you deserve to have the food. You don't go in and say to your server, you know, I'd like the waffles today. And then you look around and think, am I deserving of these waffles? Am I good enough for these waffles? Are there other people here in this restaurant who deserve these waffles more than I do? Am I smart enough for waffles? Is my taste palate refined enough for waffles? And so a big component to asking for what you want is the assumption and the core belief that you are deserving of anything that you would want. And then finally, the third piece of placing an order with your cosmic server is that Once you place the order, you just sit back and relax and you wait for the food to come. You never jump up at a restaurant when you're frustrated that it's taking so long and then go back into the kitchen and cook your own meal. That would be completely absurd. You don't know what you're doing back in the kitchen. And such is the same with this process. Once you have articulated what you want, then you let go and you let the universe fulfill your order in the way that it knows best, because it will always do it in a much more effective and efficient way than you can ever imagine with your limited human brain. So that is my advice to you. Pick up calling in the one and in all aspects of your life, Britt, now is the time to define and manifest everything that your heart desires. Okay. So the next question I have is from Anna, who is 24 years old. And this question is a spiritual question. She says, we often hear the word soul thrown around in terms like soulmate, soul crushing, or soulful, but can you do a deep dive into what getting in touch with your soul really means, why it's so important, and how to incorporate this as a daily practice? This is amazing. Thank you, Anna, for asking this question. First, I'll describe the way I understand the definition of a soul, and this is an accumulation of different books that I've read and different experiences I have had. But of course, I'm not like a PhD in souls. I'm just a person who has an independent perspective on this. So take everything I say with a grain of salt if it doesn't resonate with you. My belief is that a soul is the part of you that exists without your human body. 
It is the part of you that will go on to live many other lives in the future in other bodies and has in the past lived other lives as well. And so it's that piece of you that is not physical, but it is the essence and the core truth of who you are. It's not about where you grew up or who your parents are. It's the essence of your integrity, what you care about, your values, what you're drawn to. The soul is why we have preferences, why we like the things that we like, why we're drawn to the places that we're drawn to, why we can't explain it, but we've always loved to play the piano or we've always wanted to go to Bali. The soul is the reason why small children, babies, have very distinct personalities right out of the womb. We all understand that siblings are often so, so different from each other, even though they're raised exactly the same way, or twins are really different from each other, is because they're each coming into this world with a different soul. They are unique souls. In my opinion, soulmates are not just people who you date and have romantic relationships with. Your soulmates can be your family members. They are the closest people in your life. This is not the first time that you've met these people. They have taken other forms and other previous lives that you have had as a soul. Souls tend to travel in groups of soul families. These soul families have a pact with each other, and the pact is to force each other to learn and grow the lessons that that soul wants to learn. So for instance, I've had this experience called past life regressions, where I worked with an amazing practitioner named Mira Kelly, who put me into a meditative state. And over a period of eight hours, I accessed and I remembered different lives that I had had dating back from the 1700s up until the 1950s. And I saw the soul that is now my mother in many different iterations. At one life, she was my business partner, screenwriting partner in Palm Springs. And another point in my life, she was a woman that my husband was having an affair with. And regardless of what it was, we always had a tense, acrimonious relationship where she was creating conflict in my life that was forcing me to learn and to grow. I've also seen my husband in a past life, though when I had this past life regression, I hadn't met him yet. And so I didn't know who it was. I was like, huh, who is that person? And now I know that it's him. And I just know this with someone who I was best friends with for many years from I think 16 to 32, she felt like a soulmate. You know, people always thought we were sisters, even though we looked nothing alike. So whether or not people are still in your life or not, anyone who is extremely meaningful generally has a soul packed with you and you have been traveling with them through many other lifetimes in your soul family. And you are also there to do the same for them, to push them out of their comfort zone. Now let's talk about soul purpose. In the world where souls live, in between incarnating into human existences, that world is so beautiful. It is completely free of pain. Imagine that everything is at its highest potential. Hearts are filled. There's so much love. This is a world of just love, 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 and perfection. There's no pain. There's no suffering. And in this ideal world, souls choose what it is that they want to learn on earth. So they might say something like, you know what, in this next life, I really, really want to learn about forgiveness. So I am going to be someone whose entire family was killed in a car accident by a drunk driver so that I might truly learn what forgiveness means. 
And then that soul might turn to a member of its soul family and say, hey, can you help me? Would you be that drunk driver? And the soul say, sure, let's go. And then they are brought into this world and they don't remember what it is that their soul purpose is, but that is the path that they have chosen for themselves. I find this concept extremely nurturing because I wondered for the longest time why I was subjected to such a challenging upbringing with my mother and never knowing my father, having my grandparents die when I was young, and just having so much difficulty and having a family that cares for me. And now I see that my soul chose that. I can really imagine my soul before it incarnated my body saying, you know, I want to learn about independence. I want to learn what it means to stand out on my own, to make my way in the world, and to have confidence and self-love. Okay, well, I think the best way to do that is to give me a really broken family situation that is unfixable and to be forced to have some hardship early on so that I can really codify and carve out who I am as a person outside of my family. So you might look at some of the most challenging experiences that you have had in your life or will have and know that your soul chose that. Your soul chose that so that it could learn those lessons and then also take those lessons and share them with the broader world to turn lemons into lemonade. Finally, the question, what can you do to further this work on a daily basis? The first thing I recommend is to pick up an amazing book called Beyond Past Lives by Mira Kelly. I think reading about some of these experiences of past lives and soul purposes and soul missions will be really helpful. There's someone um, by the name of Brian Weiss who also writes a lot about past lives, so you could pick up some of his work as well. Another book is called Your Soul's Plan by Robert Schwartz that gives you a lot of help in trying to figure out what your soul mission is and your soul purpose in this world. I think the most important thing you can do, though, is to start meditating and start carving out more periods of silence in your life because our souls often speak to us through intuition. And your intuition can only come through when you're quiet, you're paying attention, and there aren't so many disturbances and distractions in your life. So that's where I would say to start, build a beautiful meditation practice, spend a lot of time connecting to your intuition. You can check out those books that I mentioned. And also finally, if you haven't done so yet, I would invest in getting an astrology reading because an astrologer can help you understand your soul purpose more. They can look at a variety of different celestial bodies like Chiron or your north and south node, and those will help them articulate to you what your purpose in this world is, and that can be a good jumping off point for your exploration. Okay, last but not least, we have a really beautiful question from a listener named Louisa, and she writes, Hi, I listen to every single episode whenever it comes out. It always brings me a warm feeling in my heart. Lately, I would love to feel that through a conversation about grief and how to get through it whilst loving and caring for yourself. Recently lost my beloved pet and the emptiness is unreal. She was the love of my life and my consistency. Oh, Louisa, thank you so much for writing this in. I have a dog and I've never experienced a pet passing away, but I often tear up even thinking about the fact that he's going to be gone one day and I don't know what I'll do. His fourth birthday is coming up in about 10 days and thought, oh, he's almost a quarter of the way through his life already. 
So I will say that I have not ever had direct experience with a pet dying, so I cannot even begin to know how you must feel, but I can empathize with the feeling of grief in general, so I can speak to that. And I apologize if it is not quite specific enough for your needs, because I know that you know no one can really understand what you're going through unless they have been in your same shoes. I read a quote about grief recently that I wanted to turn into a post for the Reset Instagram. And it says, people think that grief slowly gets smaller with time. In reality, grief stays the same, but slowly life begins to grow bigger around it. That's really poignant for me because essentially what it says is don't expect your grief to just disappear and don't feel hard on yourself if you still feel sad in a year, two years, three years. I mean, we all know people whose beloved pets passed away a decade before and they still can't bring themselves to feel less sad about it. My husband's family had a dear dog named Buddy and his mom would walk Buddy every day in this park called Uplands Park. And when Buddy passed away, his mom couldn't go back to that park for years, even though it's a really beautiful park and very close to their house to walk through. I have a friend whose dog passed away and he said, I can never get a dog again, but he did get a really beautiful cat. So these things are real. And I think that giving ourselves the grace and the permission to feel them for a long time and even forever is so essential. So give yourself that understanding and that self-love. And at the same time, your focus and your energy won't be about forgetting your dear dog, but rather about building life around the memory of your dog and continuing to let life grow, even though that grief still remains. The first way that I've worked to build that life around me when I've experienced grief is through support groups, through talking to other people about their experiences who have been through what I have. This past year has been really hard because, you know, now we're on two and a half years and four failed fertility treatment cycles of trying to have a baby. And I feel like there's so much that I was grieving every time I got my period each month. I would just cry and cry and really lament the loss of a dream that I had and a certain ideal that I had in my mind. And so much of what helped me get through that was talking to other people who understood and having conversations with them to hear their stories and to build that bond and the connection between us. So as much as you can, seek out people who have experienced the loss of a pet as well and to talk to them about it. I think that will do a world of good in healing because you can see how you're not alone. And you can also learn from people who are further along in the journey. And then once you're further along in your journey, you can help others who are going through it too. What a beautiful way to transform grief by turning it to something that can help someone else. The second thing I'll say is to keep the memory and the presence of your pet with you at all times and to know that even though your dog has crossed over to the other side, that his soul and his spirit is still with you. I think you can do this by making an album of photos dedicated to your pet, writing a letter to them to tell them how much they meant to you, keeping that letter somewhere really precious in a beautiful box keeping some of your pet's things and honoring their memory, and then seeing if you can feel their presence with you. 
Even though your pet is no longer with you in the material plane, their soul will always be with you. And I truly, truly feel this about my beautiful, beloved grandmother who I lost when I was eight years old and she had been a huge part of my life. And I still feel her presence with me constantly. I ask for her help. I write her letters. I keep her memory alive and somehow it makes the grief feel less because I can still feel her with me knowing that she's not fully gone. I would also ask yourself, what would your pet have wanted for you? What are some things that your pet would want you to do? Maybe get up and go for a walk when you're feeling sad, just as you would when they were alive. They would want you to be happy. I got your question in, Louisa, a few days ago, and I happened to be at a bookstore the same day I got your question. I was browsing the psychology section, and I found this book called Lost Companions, Reflections on the Death of Pets. And I picked it up and I thought, wow, I think this is a sign that I need to answer Louisa's question. I've just been skimming the book and it's actually really beautiful. It's these different stories and vignettes about the relationship between humans and animals. Let yourself really feel the sadness. Watch movies about people and their animals. Read this book. You know, let yourself savor how much love you had for your pet and how much grief you're feeling because of how much you love them. So I would say take the time, go where your energy leads you, ask yourself, what do I need on a daily basis? And know that it's going to take time for, as I mentioned, the rest of your life to fill up around here. But I think this can be a process of learning how to self-care and tend to yourself every day whenever you're feeling sad, waking up and checking in and tuning into your intuition and asking, what do I need right now? That is all I have for today. Thank you so much to the listeners for submitting questions. If you want to submit one of your own, please go to resetnyc.com backslash podcast, and you'll see a link to be able to do that. I have been so backed up with my DMs, both my personal and my Reset Instagram account. So I actually don't trust that if you send me a podcast topic there that it'll get meaningfully archived in a way that I will know how to access it later on. So please, please, please use the link. And thanks guys. Happy New Year. And as always, make sure this week you remember to love yourself, to listen to yourself, and to say yes to life so that life can say yes to you. Thank you. Thank you.